0: Welcome to this week's episode of last ones at the bar. We're back today to recap three fights on the three major boxing platforms of the zone, ESPN and PBC. We have uh, my main man, Lavelle, representing Detroit. We got Daniel Lee who's representing all things VA. And I'm Wilton Henry from the hometown of the NBA champion Milwaukee Bucks. Also, I'm a.k.a. the Lionel Richie of the Commodores.
1: What's good, my comrades? Yeah, what's up, Will? What's
0: What's happening? How you feeling? Everything's good, bro. Um, I want to ask you fellas, you know, I know last week, y'all really wasn't too much into the NCAA, like with a bracket and everything. I don't know if you had a chance to check out any of the action this week. And if so, um, you know, what teams are you liking? And then who you think is going to be cutting down on the next?
2: I didn't tell y'all, but I actually signed a 10-day contract. This was last Thursday. I signed a 10-day contract as a St. Peter's fan, you feel me? So, um, you know, here it is next Sunday. So I'm finna renew that contract real quick. Uh, might be a little premature, but I'm going for my Peacocks to win it all, baby. You feel me?
1: <laughs> yeah, I still haven't been following. I've been hearing all the, the, the hype about St. Uh, Peters, uh, and just excited to see where it's going to go, especially a team like that, which I think is a a a 16th seed or 15th seed.
0: <laughs> yeah, because I was looking earlier when I was coming from the gym, and they said that they would be the highest or the, yeah the highest seed ever to make it to the Final Four. But they got a squad, you know, especially in this climate of NCAA action. I was like y'all fellas, you know, I really wasn't taking checking out college basketball too much. But one of my partners, I was headed to my spot that I go to on the weekends. I got this little happy hour joint that I go to. Since the pandemic, I really haven't been staying. I just go ahead and get what it is I need. And then I end up coming home. But on my way up there, he was like he was talking about St. Pete. So I really had no idea what he was talking about. But since I was so close to the spot, I was like, you know what? I'm just going to go ahead and stop in because they were playing a game. And so I'm just going to chill and see what all the fuss is about. And when I checked them out, I was pleasantly surprised that they had some dudes that could go. And so my kind of preconceived notion, not necessarily even a preconceived notion, it's just I think when I've been watching college basketball, I haven't seen the teams that really jump off the screen to me because I saw squads like Gonzaga and they were like the number one team in the nation. And I'm like, that's not like uh, Arkansas back in the day when they had Ty Day or UNLV. You know, like when you have a number one team, then you know that they the number one team. You know what I'm saying? So that's why I really wasn't too much interested in checking out the tournament. But this week, as soon as I saw St. Pete and I saw what they had, then I had an opportunity to check out like Villanova yesterday. Villanova is real solid. Like they not going to have dudes who just going to, you know, they ain't gonna have that dude, but all of them collectively, like they real, real solid. And, you know, for me as a former Hooper, I always look at teams, like if I was a kid and I was looking at a squad and I'm like, who would, would would it be somebody I can identify with and be able to look at and be inspired by and want to pattern my game after? And they got some dudes on there like that. Then after that game, Boy. Oh, Houston got some some fellas too. But then when I saw, because at first I was hating on Duke. I was like, I don't want to see Shoshewski win another championship, you know, so on and so forth. And I don't. But when I saw that squad, everything that I was saying that college players can't do, <laughs> they got dudes on that team. They got several guys on their team. I don't know how they the number two seed. You know what I mean? But um, but based on what I see so far, I think Duke has the best chance of winning because they just got. They just loaded. You know what I mean? But there's some other teams out there, and I know that they might be facing um, North Carolina, who beat them the last time. That's the last time they lost. So they might play them in the final four or St. Pete. You know, there's some teams that are capable of beating them, but I would put my money on Duke, you know, to hoist the trophy and cut down the nets. But anyway, enough of that, man. Like I said, we're going to talk about those three big fights on the three major platforms um, this week. So let's go ahead and start off with the fight that was in Leeds in the UK uh, with Josh Warrington. He was going to um, enter the fight to face Kiko Martinez to reclaim the IBF belt at Featherweight Vale, Uh, What did you think about Josh Warrington last night?
1: Yeah, uh I, I like what I saw. I mean, this fight, like you said, it was for the IBF title for the uh the featherweight IBF title. Uh Warranton, he's coming in this fight. Um 30 and no. I am mean 30 and one and one with seven knockouts coming off that loss against uh Lara, which we he had, had a rematch which ended in uh, kind of a no contest from a head, but uh so it was still some questions on if he could handle uh, Mauricio Lara. Uh and he, he and of course, Warrington was going against Kiko Martinez, uh, 40, 43 and 10 and two with 30 knockouts, uh, coming off his um, his come from behind, uh, almost knockout of the year against Kia had. So, Warrington right off the bat coming in this fight, I mean, he tried to take Martinez's head off. I mean, he came out aggressive, just throwing punches, knocked Martinez down in the, in the first round. Uh, I think it was like maybe 50 seconds to go. Um, with the right hand. Martinez, just the look on his face, it just looked like this fight was going to be over quick, and there was no way Martinez was going to really actually get back in this fight. Martinez got back up. uh, Warrington really did try to stop him in the the, uh, latter half of of round one, um, and pretty much just fought him at close uh, quarters the entire fight. Um, I mean, hitting him with, with hooks and uppercuts and Pretty much stand within range, and I was I was surprised with uh, just the physicality. We judge this fight from their previous uh, fight that happened uh, years ago. Uh, a just seemed just just too strong for Martinez, and, and Martinez just seemed like like he was he was just there fighting, but he didn't just want to be there. Like he, he seemed like a shell of of what he was. Um, so I think. Warrington was really putting it on Martinez, especially in, the uh, I believe it was the sixth round, he started opening Martinez up. Uh, it looked like he was going to stop him then, but then they, they sent Martinez back out there in the seventh round, and that's when Warrington just landed a barrage of punches. Now, it wasn't like Martinez was going to go down or anything like that, but he was just taking so much punishment. Uh, and it was interesting to watch because, um, as we've said previously, you know, Warrington is not really a, a puncher like that. But he, he has enough, you know, he has enough of a shot that, that a lot of those shots will, will, will start to take his, his tear on you. And that's what was happening to Martinez. I mean, he just couldn't. I mean, had he fought a different fight or he had the, the, the youth to, to really, you know, utilize Warrant's mistakes and move around him or, or move at all, I think it would have been a different fight. But uh, Warranton just had too much physicality stop them in in, in round seven. Um, and and I guess this sets up hopefully there'll be a a third fight between Warrenton and Mauricio Laura. If not, uh, maybe our wish will come true. We'll see Josh Warrenton against a, a Gary Russell jr or someone like that. but it's probably gonna happen. they're probably gonna unify against probably mark maxayo. I, I see something like that if if Russell doesn't take that rematch or if that rematch between Russell and Mark and uh, Maxayo doesn't happen, I could see. Uh, Josh Warrington um, Mark McSio uh, matchup I could see something like that but it was a good win for Warrington it, but again it was Kiko Martinez Martinez even riding high from that knockout uh he, he seemed like he just wasn't a shell of even what he was a couple of years ago but good win yeah a great breakdown as, as always um just, you know, he
0: came back and did his thing. You know, he got his first win, shoot, let's say, over a year. You know, he asserted, you know, his dominance over or on Martinez throughout this fight. He took a really smart approach because for one, Martinez is vulnerable early in fights. And if you look at his record, you know, he suffered a lot of um, of his losses early. Um And like we said last week going into the fight that he didn't look that good outside of the knockdowns that he had against um, Kiko, or not Kiko, but Kid Galahad. And so it was smart for Warrington to come out aggressive early, you know, um, for the fact that Martinez is vulnerable early, but also just to put it in the old man's mind that, you know, you can't mess with me. You know what I mean? I'm quicker, faster, stronger, you know, all of the above. And so he did that early. Then also by doing so, he could kind of take his foot off the gas a little bit and then like box on the back foot and just, you know, do whatever it is he wanted to do with him after he established and got his respect early. So that was a smart move. You know, with that being said, you know, Josh was right there in front of him. He ended up dropping Kiko in the second round. Um, he was just landing punch after punch. And what I was thinking after the second, I'm like, dang, is he going to be able to keep up this pace? Like if if, Mar- if Martinez is able to survive this, you know, with the power that he has, especially in the right hand, is that going to, you know, be his downfall because he started off so quickly, he couldn't get him out of there. But... um and he dropped Kitko in that second round. And then Kitko, being a consummate professional that he is, on a clinch, he ended up throwing a punch. And he almost hit the referee, too. But it was a smart move because he was in trouble. And so the referee had to, like, warn him and take more time and stuff like that. So that, that was really smart on this part. And um, the middle rounds, what I noticed is that like I said, Warrenson he began to box more on the back foot. He was circling around. And then what he would do is he would just land punches in quick bursts, land punches in quick bursts. And, you know, uh, Martinez, he had his moments, and he was looking to land that right hand that he landed against Galahad. But Warrington was just too good for that. And by the seventh round, um, Warrington jumped on him and then he landed a burst of punches and by that time just Kiko, just to have anything left he was getting hit with some shots that wasn't necessarily heavy you know who am I to say I wasn't getting hit by those punches but they didn't appear to be that heavy it was just uh, more so the onslaught where he just couldn't defend himself anymore you know at his advanced age and like I said it was just a smart fight by, by Warrington you know all together and he does have that that Backing, you know what I mean there was about 15,000 there, and it was just in full support of their hometown hero. And so uh, what I think uh, moving forward, you know, as far as Martinez is concerned, I think it's time to hang him up. You know, he, he's had a, a, a pretty good career, he got the most out of his career, you know, now to me he's looking kind of very similar to Bruce Willis. <laughs> in the ring and i'm not talking about bruce willis on pulp fiction you know what i'm saying or, or diehard i'm talking about like now you know he's at, at his age trying to um throw those punches but it's not it, it wouldn't end well for him because you got too many guys who can crack harder than josh warrington and i think he had his moment against kia galahad and he should ride off into the sunset now as far as warrington, warrington is concerned what i see As a fan, I would like for him just to directly, you know, right that wrong of the Lara fight. I think this is the perfect opportunity for him to do it. He looked really good yesterday. And his confidence should be high. And the way he fought yesterday, I think that he'll really have a good, legitimate shot at beating um, Lara now. And if he can, he just can't beat him. But he has a lot of options. You know, like you said, he has the McSayo a fight that he could actually take he has the possibly Navarrete you know I don't know why he would fight Gary Russell at this point because Gary Russell doesn't have a belt or anything like that um but I think those are the three viable options for him Lara Navarrete and Maxaya but I was you know pleasantly surprised the last thing I'm gonna say is this you know poor Kiko Martinez from this standpoint He wasn't going to have a shot yesterday because you look after the fight. He was just busted up, head bleeding, eyes, both eyes cut. And it wasn't punches that he got cut from. Like Warrenson uses his head a lot in his fights. And he wasn't really going to get any um, help from the referee, especially not there. You know what I mean? But all in all, excellent win, good comeback, you know, and shout out to Josh Warrenson. And Kiko Martinez, you have nothing to hang your head about. You had an illustrious career. Um, And shout out to both guys.
2: Man, I got to say, I don't know what y'all boys are thinking, predicting that Martinez knockout. Y'all was tripping. (laughs) No, all jokes aside, though, um, not too much to add. Fights are made to answer questions, you know what I mean? And, you know, those picks were made, even from my end, because I didn't have the conviction to pick otherwise either. You know, we knew that Warrington, like all things considered, we knew Warrington was a better boxer. Uh, We knew that Martinez looked like, you know, kind of shaky against Galahad. But we didn't know the sample size of how Warrington was post that Lara beatdown. And then we didn't know, you know, what that confidence was going to do for Martinez. And so, you know, this is a fight that answered the question. It's that simple. And, you know, this was... The best case scenario for Warrington, you know, like you know, after losing to Lara, not really having to fight him again, and then, you know, kind of being in a position to to get another title shot, and then gets the title shot, and now he's kind of back in his driver's seat again. Now I know, you know, we've thrown some names out there already. Like you said, Will, it's not really a need to fight Russell. In addition to that, you know, Russell was hurt in that Maxayo fight, and so we don't know if that's just a matter of time or if he's going to need surgery to fix that. I believe it was a shoulder. And so we don't know when Russell's actually going to be back in the ring, and then Maxayo is tied up. Um, I would like to see the Laura fight, but if I'm, if I'm at Warrington's camp, it makes the most sense to me to unify with Lee Wood. I mean, what you have there is you have a domestic unification fight for world titles. You know what I mean? So that makes the most sense to me. But, you know, he looked good. He looked like the Warrington that we were used to seeing. And Martinez at this age looked like the Martinez that we were afraid we might see. And so if he does decide to call it quits, you know, he had a great career. He has nothing to be ashamed of. So much respect to him. You guys got anything else?
0: Sir. Yeah, just a few things. One, um, the main thing is how are you going to sit up there and say we didn't know this and we didn't know that? You know what I'm saying? Because what if somebody's listening to this for the first time? They have no idea that we were wrong. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, come <laughs> on, bro. It's, that's all I got, man.
2: It, it is what it is. You know what I mean? You, I, 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 you're I, I, humans, man. You're you're right. right. <laughs> I reserve the right to
1: be wrong. You feel me? The fans know we real. We were real people.
2: But it was a good fight. But moving over to that ESPN card, uh, we had Miguel Burchelt. He fought Jeremiah Nakathila. Both of those guys moved up from 130 to 135 to take this fight. Will, how'd you see that? I mean, there's only one way to see it, but what, what are your thoughts? Yeah, you, you had... uh
0: talking about somebody looking like a shell of himself, you had um, my main man, Brichotte, you know. Well, I'll get to that in a second. Basically, in this fight, you had Nakatila. He dominated Brichotte every round of the fight. I can't see Brichotte winning any of the rounds. He dropped him in the third with a jab. These are some of the lowlights for Brichotte. He, he was dropped with a jab in the third. Um, his mouthpiece was dislodged with the right hand late in the six, And um, yeah, he just, oh man, it, it, it was sad to see, you know, this fight. And I was listening to Timothy Bradley. He was saying that he was in a similar situation as Rochelle. and going into the fight, he, he, he didn't understand where Rochelle in his corner was going, you know, as far as taking this fight, because he said him being in a similar situation after he fought um, that the Russian guy, Provotnikov, he said that he, he was questioning himself because he got hit with a lot of shots. And I want to say he was dropped a couple of times in that fight. And so when he was coming back, it was like, he didn't know if he was going to be the same. And what they did was before he got in a ring, they had him fight against Matisse and Sparrow. And he said he was out of shape and everything, but he was in there and he was able to take a couple shots from Matisse and he was, he did pretty good. And he said Matisse got off too, but at the same time, he knew that he was ready to get back in a ring after he went through that. Verschelt made a mistake of fighting somebody, it's the wrong fighter to fight if you didn't put yourself in a situation to check yourself physically and mentally going into this fight. So anyway, with that being said, um, with the Nevada State Athletic Commission, they determined Brichelt shouldn't answer the bell for the seven. And so they call the fight, you know, and a good thing that they did, if you look at the punch stats, Nakatila, he landed 125 out of 503 punches. He was more active, um, landed more like 45 more punches than Brichelt, Brichelt was 80 out of 287, not nearly active enough. And then, as far as the power shots, it was even worse, where Nakatila landed 78 out of 245 to Brousselles, 27 out of 75. Brousselles tried to fight back at times, but even then, Nakatila took his best shots to deliver the more damaging punches of his own. Now, as far as where they go from here, I think it's quite obvious to me what Brichel should do because he just looked like a shell of himself. And as I stated before, it appeared to be the wrong fighter to come back against. Nakatila has a lot of power and he has, um, he's basic, he's, he's real basic, but at the same time, that's the one thing that he has that especially somebody coming off a devastating KO loss, I don't think that that's the fighter that you would want to face first, you know? But, um, and, and also Burchell's awkwardness, to me, that was good for him against smaller opponents at 130, when he was on his game, you know, and he was at his best physically and mentally, but he also lacks fundamentals as well. And so that's going to catch up to him against larger guys who can crack. Um, And his legs never really look stable. He always had that funny-looking movement that he comes. It's just an awkwardness to him, but it was even more pronounced yesterday. It was like he just had bad balance. Um, He just looked like he couldn't get his legs underneath him. And to me, I just think that Brichel, his career ended February 20th of 2021 in that 10th round when he got KO'd by Oscar Valdez. And so show he moves to 31, I mean, 38-3 with 34 KOs. And as I stated before, it's time for him just to let it go. Now, Nakatilo, on the other hand, he moves to 23-2 with 19 KOs. And when I look at the landscape at 135, I think that he'll be tough for guys, especially early. Um, but I just think he's too basic for, I I, I want to say all of those guys. I don't see Nakatila being able to defeat, you know, guys all the way up. He says he, he wants Devin Haney. I just think that that's another Shakur Stevenson type of, um, loss. I think what Burchell experienced yesterday, as far as the, the, um, the seeing flashbacks of the, of the. Valdez fight, he would see flashbacks of the Shakur Stevenson fight where he can't really let his hands go the way he wants to because he's going to have a fast fighter in front of him that's very technically sound and skilled and he won't know how to, he'll have his gun and the holster a lot in that fight because he'll be kind of gun shy because those guys are just too quick and they're hitting him with stuff that he can't see so he doesn't want to be as aggressive against them as he was yesterday against Rochelle, who couldn't defend himself properly, you know, after the Valdez fight. But one fight I do like for him, and part of me would like to see it, but then part of me would like for him to get, like, a better opportunity after a victory like that would be him and Richard Coleman. I think that that would be a really good fight. And um, I think it would be an explosive fight because both fighters – are very powerful very strong and they would be like looking in the mirror <laughs> you know what i'm saying so you know as far as from a fight fan standpoint and from a matchmaking standpoint i would like to see that but at the same time i think after a win like that he probably has bigger fish to fry and he probably would want to you know maximize this opportunity because in india he still um is a police officer he works as a police officer so i know that this right here. Did a lot for him, you know, in his financial situation. and another fight, can't do anything but um, help him out even more. But great win for him, you know, probably one of the best wins in Namibian history, you know, for boxer for a boxer. Um, but shout out to both guys. And Brachelt, hopefully, that's the final fight of your career because I don't want to see you laid out, you know, getting taken to um, an ambulance on a stretcher, you know. So. But you had a great career, you know. But shout out to both guys,
2: for sure. Um, you know, one thing I want to point out because you mentioned Shakur Stevenson, you know those those wins he had earlier in his pro career, and even you know that one against Nakatila. Those wins just keep looking better and better. You know, granted, Burchelt was not who he has been, but you know, a win is still a win. But you know, onto this fight. One of the cruel things about this sport. You know what I mean? Is that you don't know that you've been in one too many wars until you're already in that war. You know, but to me, from what I saw, going back and watching the fight, his body language was all from near opening bell. Once Nakatila started to to really start to attack, it was like he saw the ghost of Valdez almost. And, you know, we all knew that was how Nakatila was coming, but it was just too much for him. And You know, in terms of the fight itself, I don't have much else to add. And I I hate to sort of write career obituaries in this sport, but I also hope that Burchell calls it quits after this one. You know, he's taken a lot of punishment in his career, even in the wins and in some of the wins. And I hope that he knows when it's time to walk away. You know, he can't make 130, and now he's in this stacked lightweight division. And if he got dominated by who was a 12th-ranked fighter in the division, what does it say about where he is? And he's also kind of in his crossfire where there's going to be some guys who will eventually move up like a Shakur. And then you have guys who are going to be at 135 or at 135 now, and are going to continue to develop like a Keyshawn Davis. And, you know, they're all going to be trouble for him. Now, as for Nakatila, I, I, I was actually going to say Richard Comey as well. Even maybe a sort of like a, a Nakatani fight would maybe, in, um, you know, kind of in that same realm. But I wouldn't blame him if he used this win to propel himself into better opportunities. Um, I'm happy for him, you know? You know, uh, to, be, to be a pro at this sport, is hard in and of itself, um, let alone when you're already working a full-time job on side of that. So whatever happens, I hope he take something that puts him in a better position to you know to feed his family off of this sport
1: yeah you both of you gave some excellent breakdowns that i agree with you both on on what i saw as soon as the bell rang and and he took that first shot yeah his violin which look in his eyes you could just tell he just did not have it uh and then you know once you see fighters doing stuff like getting knocked down by jabs especially if they're hurt like I can understand a, like a flash, a flash jab knocked down by someone who has a strong jab, like what Miguel Cotto did to Joshua Clotty, where Cloty got right back up. But when when you you have a guy, you know, just throw a throw a quick jab, you get hurt coming in like that. And you, I mean, and then there was a shot. I think it was around the second round where Nakatila hit uh, Rochelle around on the ear, and, and right then and there, I was like, this fight is over. It's not going to last that long. <laughs> Uh, and even then, uh, Nakatila, he, he gave Rochelle a lot to, this is how you know it was, it was kind of over for Rochelle, was that Nak- Nakatila gave Rochelle tons of opportunities where if a, another fighter was in there with him, even if that fighter was hurt, that fighter probably could have came back and made something happen. Now, uh, you, you can't question Rochelle's heart, though, because he was, he was trying so hard to, 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 to fight himself back in the fight, and it wasn't no quick in him. But the language was, was just saying, it. my body is failing me. It was almost to a point where I was kind of like, you, you know that that punishment is, is going to get worse. And you know that that knockout is eventually going to happen. And it's like how it's going to happen. So it was almost like, oh, man, I don't get the the, the, the knockout, knockout I really want to see. But at the same time, it was a sigh of relief. Like, oh, well, I, so it's finally over. I don't get this, you know explain to, to, to anyone the next day about the dangers of boxing and why I like the sport because someone got too hurt. So uh, hopefully for Michelle, you know, he, he looks at this fight or the people around him, they give him a, a good conversation. Um, and hopefully he has a good support system where they're not trying to, you know, you know, those money hungry people that's trying to go you back into a fight because they need money and trying to convince you that you can do it. and You can still do it. I think Rochelle should really just hang it up. And for Nakatila, you know, as y'all said, it's a lot of opportunities for him. I mean, he makes a, a, a pretty decent opponent. I'm not sure if he, he he can't really beat a lot of top opposition, but I think he makes interesting fights with the, with the upper echelon. I mean, like for example, if you if you if, if you're looking at uh, uh, a drag out fight into let's say a uh, uh, where well, this prior this fight probably wouldn't happen, but with a, a Tank Davis. You know that would be a, a, a entertaining fight, even though Tank would probably win that fight. I know Will, you brought up Devin Haney. Uh, yeah, I, I think that fight could will play out probably a little bit similar to what happened with uh, with Shakur with Stevenson, where Nakatila was so wowed by the the the, the speed and defense that he, he just really couldn't get off. But at the same time, I think I do think that Devin Haney will probably give him a a, a few more opportunities than Shakur Stevenson did. Because I think Stevenson's defense is just a little bit more. Uh, I think I think it's a little bit better than Devin Haney's. And Haney can be caught. I think, but I do think that Haney will pretty much cruise to a decision against Nakatila. Um, plus, Nakatila, I don't think he's going to have a, a, a size advantage if he continues to fight at the light. Even though he's a big, he's pretty tall for the weight. He's again, he's moving up from one thirty also. So it's not like he's going to have this huge size advantage uh in a lightweight division but you know i think it's some interesting options for him uh as y'all said you know he can if he wants to continue being a police officer he can but if he wants to you know give that up and get a a couple more big fights he's actually open to do that you know especially with the promotion where he's at anything else you guys want to share
0: let me you you mentioned the um the Devin and Shakur. Yeah, I, I agree that there's no fighters like the same. You know what I mean? It, it's always going to be some nuances that are different that are different with fighters. But when, when I say that he'll see a similar, it'll be similar to me. He'll, he'll definitely have a few more opportunities. I just think, you know, as far as Devin is concerned, that when people think about him, um, like defensively. I think he's, he's he's really great defensively. I just think that he got caught by Lenares and he's fought some really good fighters. You know what I mean? The last two fights that he had, well, Lenares and um, JoJo. You know, JoJo is nothing to play with. So with that being said, and he took so many rounds away from JoJo, I've never seen anybody take that many rounds away from JoJo. Now, as far as him and Nakatila is concerned, I just think that Devin and those guys have more parts of their game where Nakatila is exclusively, exclusively, exclusively looking for that right hand. And he's a one trick pony. And I just think somebody who is as sharp as Devin Haney, they'll be able to keep that gun in a holster. You're not just going to beat them with one trick. I think Linares caught him maybe with a left or something like that when he was looking for the big right hand. But at the same time, that's a seasoned professional who has all of that experience. Jojo Diaz is somebody who is, can set you up. You know what I mean? He doesn't have that part of the game, but what he does have is that brute strength. He has, you know, he's tough. He keeps coming, he keeps winging that right hand. But I just think that somebody a seasoned as Devin Haney, you know, even though he's young, that they'll, you know, he'll be gunshot. You know what I mean? He doesn't have the opportunities to actually spar with guys who will prepare him for somebody who is a season as Devin who's fought Shakur and all of those guys in gyms at the Mayweather gym at this gym at that gym so they prepare for somebody like that they can see that stuff a mile away so that's what I meant when I said that he'll see something similar um because it's just Devin just knows too much to me to lose to somebody like that that's all
1: Oh, no, he's not losing to Nakatila at all. Now, one fight you did bring up that, that I thought would be interesting, that I did think about, because I'm like, he reminds me of somebody, That you was know, Richard Coleman. <laughs> I was even thinking that yesterday. Like, he kind of reminds me of another fighter, you know, yeah. That would be an interesting fight. And one thing I do want to, I forgot to touch on, that I really do want to touch on, is that Timothy Bradley comment. And he kept talking about his fight with uh, Um, I thought that was a, a weird comparison because Tim Bradley, it's it's interesting comparing putting him, comparing him to, Bichette, to where Rochelle was in at that point in his career because Tim Bradley was coming off pretty much the best win of his career, even if it's disputed. Even if you you, you don't have him in that fight against that first fight against Pacquiao, he didn't. It wasn't like he just took a ton of punishment or got beat down or anything like that. Even if he lost, so. Comparing that to Michelle, who coming off like a brutal knockout uh, from Valdez, and going in there with a, a knockout puncher, I thought that was a weird comparison, I, and I think that was very uh, accurate. Um, I think a better, a better, if, if if Bradley wanted to make a better comparison, I think it would be if he if people went from that that fight against Ruslan and went into, and went to another fight when even though he didn't lose that fight. If he went from that fight into another fight, a fight against another puncher, uh, I think that would have been a better comparison. Um, because he did take punishment in that fight. Um
0: you but, said, was, was he was he saying that during the telecast?
1: Yeah, yeah. I believe he was saying that he was kept bringing up that fight with uh with volume. Uh, okay. Only, I,
0: reason, only reason I say that, Bill, is because I wasn't that fight in the it was two fights, but I want to say the Gouche fight and the um and that fight was going on at the same time, so I didn't have the sound on, on either one. When I heard Bradley speaking, it was fight notes. He was talking after you know how you have his suit on, have his backpack, about to leave, and those guys end up interviewing him. So that was what I was referring to. Um, because what he did say, what you just said, he was in that interview. He was saying that he took the shots from Pr- Vatnikov. And he was getting—he didn't know whether or not he was going to take that Marquez fight afterwards. And so once he was able to get through Matisse, you know that experience in the gym, that's when they said, "Okay, yeah, you ready. You can you can go ahead here. Let's let's go ahead and make that fight." So that's what I heard. But I, like I said, I, didn't, I wasn't listening to the telecast yesterday. I wasn't—I li- I mean, um, yeah, listening to it.
1: Yeah, I thought he, he did bring up that that particular fight against Evagrius yeah, Call. So I thought that was an interesting fight to bring up. He said, he's taking the same thing. Same thing happened when I, when I happened in my fight. I'm like, I don't, I don't see the comparison there. So, But uh, you just brought this up, Will. It was another fight uh, happening in a light middleweight division. Um, the son of a, a, a Hall of Famer, uh, Tim Zhu, he was going against Terrell Boucher. Um, what are your thoughts on uh, Tim Zhu? I mean, I know there was a lot of qu- questions that we had about him. Uh, what answers did, did we get last night?
2: Yeah, I thought this was a very good fight. I thought this was a good performance on his part. Um, I had scored it personally. I scored it at 117-110 in, in Zoo's favor. Uh, he looked lit a little shaky when he was, you know, down in the first round. Uh, so for that reason, I gave Gouche the first two rounds. But... But Zoo pretty much pissed the out after that. And it was like, it was almost like both fighters had a certain amount of firepower, but it was like Gouche was out there with a nine, and Zoo was out there with like an AR or something. You know what I mean? Like, it was looking like it was going to be a shootout, but by the fourth round, it was just, Zoo just made it clear that he didn't care what Gouche was going to throw. He was just going to keep coming forward. And whatever Gouche threw, whether he landed or not, he just found himself for the rest of the fight on the ropes trying to survive. You know, he got rotten in the fifth round, but he survived and he was never knocked down. But pretty much the the story of that fight was Gouche being game, but simply not having enough firepower to keep himself away from the ropes and to save himself from the ropes once he was there. And Zoo just kept coming and coming. And, um, you know, he looked good. It was his U.S. debut. Now, to his point, he did say he had some things to work on in the post-fight interview. And I appreciate the self-awareness. But I'm going to still say what I saw, too. Uh, The first thing that was blaring to me was his lack of head movement. You know, he got caught in the first round and was getting caught in the second round. So to me, because, you know, he was there to be hit and he continued to come forward with his head on the center line, which leads me to the second thing. You know, he's eventually going to have to get to the point where not only is he going to start needing to use hand movement, but if he's not going to use head movement, he's going to have to at least start to work some angles. Because coming straight forward is only going to get him so far. Like, he was fortunate that he was just bigger than Goucher. But um it's only getting him so far you know um and and honestly from what I saw one could argue that he really didn't start like one of the things that gave Gouche so much trouble was Zoo's variety of punches that he started to to throw towards the middle and the you know the middle rounds and on forward but one could argue that he really didn't start to incorporate those variety of punches until he had Gouche backed up in the corner or in the ropes with his guard high so it was like if he were to fight someone bigger at that weight class you know where they're not going to have their guard up and they're going to just going to gun back at him you know i don't know if we still get that same barrage of punches so it's like how would that fight would have looked if or even if Goucher was able to withstand that how would that fight have looked because Goucher was doing a good job of working behind the jab until you know it was just ineffective because because Zu decided he was just gonna like eat those. Um, but all all in all, uh, it was a very impressive US debut for, for the legacy fighter. Um, I think he has a bright future, like I think he has a fan-friendly style. I don't have a name off top of who I would put him against next, but I would say, you know, they they need to pick something to work on in camp and then fight a fighter that's gonna test that thing they worked on in camp, and maybe two maybe three fights from now when he's a more complete fighter, then maybe look at fighting someone of like a Tony Harrison caliber fighter and then go from there. That's what I would say if I was in his camp. But, but again, he looked good. Not, I don't want to take anything away, you know, in addition to my constructive criticism, but, you know, he looked good. Impressive.
1: Yeah, I thought it was a, a pretty decent victory. Um, there was a lot of questions about him in this fight. I'm not sure if I got the answers I, I really wanted to get about him. Um, of course, Gouche is is, is a a pretty tough cookie to, to, you know, we saw him against Austin Trout and and Erislandy Lara and Erickson Lubin. Uh, so we can judge Tim Zhu based off, off that, that, that level that he, I think in some ways he did perform better, but then again, he got dropped in the first round, uh, by, by a, a right hand, a counter right hand, which I think, um, if I'm zoo, I would want to work on like why did this happened, how do I fix this? Because I mean, you in a division with guys like you know, like, like you said, Tony Harrison, uh, you in there with Lubin and, and Charlo, and, and shots from those guys might come down. So there's still, still a lot of questions. Um, but I thought he, he gave a, a pretty good performance. Uh, but it's, it's it's something by the way he fights. I'm I'm not sure I like too much. Uh I don't like the, no, it's. I'll say it like this. I don't like the way he throws punches and specifically his jab. It's almost like he's throwing these arm punches and he don't really, he throws a lot of punches and he's getting off. He's he's basically getting away with just being, believing that he's just heavy handed. Um, And he doesn't, and because of this, he doesn't really sit on his punches. He doesn't really sit on his jab. Um, He squares up a little bit. And as you said, he doesn't really, you know, move his head a lot. Uh, in some ways, it's almost like he, he, he's trying to emulate uh, Triple G in a dirty way. And, and he, of course, he doesn't have Triple G's jab or chin or, you know, talent level in, in general. But one thing he does have that, that I do like about him is that w- when he did get knocked down, he came back and he, he legitimately almost won that round back. I mean, he really took it to Gouche. And this it, it wasn't like a flash knockdown to me when I saw it. He, he really got caught. And it was like, oh, he, I'm down, but he got back up, composed himself, and he really tried to put it on Goucher and really uh put it on the, the entire fight. And I think the fourth round, he was re- really trying to, to to drop Goucher, but Goucher, uh credit to him he's just too durable, he just would not go down he's very stubborn uh we knew it going in a fight um but he proved to be stubborn, you know he, he made it to to the uh the twelfth round now again i think I think zoo just. I do like that he's humble about it. He he understands that he has a lot to work on. Um, But I think, like you said, Danny, he might want to work on one thing. I think that one thing he might want to work on is moving his head a little bit more. I don't like the way that he just, he's standing in that line and he's ready to be hit. And uh, a more seasoned fighter is just going to catch him uh, coming in the same way. And it's hard to really compare him. Even even though it's hard to not compare him to his father because he looks just like his father. And I didn't want to really do that, but it's obvious I have to compare him to his father. And of course, he doesn't have his father's power and, and talent level and amateur pedigree. But one thing I do see in him that he just maybe, just maybe, he might have a little bit over his father. Looking at this fight, he may be, just maybe, be a little bit more meaner than Kassazu, and, and here's why I say this: It's because he doesn't have Kassazu's power, and he was still trying to, you know, throw his hands and, 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 let, and let him go. And I'm not sure if Kassazu, without that timing and without that power, will be exactly that. But it was a good performance by Tim Zoo. I mean, hopefully we get to see more and see some more questions get answered. But uh, and, and props to Ter- Terrell Goucher. I thought it was a, a spirited performance, even even in that loss. Uh, as they say at the end of the telecast, you probably gained a few more fans just from his toughness and willingness to stay in there.
0: And you might want to cut that uh, when he talking about he ain't he's he's meaner than his daddy. Man, are you serious? Costa Zoo.
1: His father. And this, this, this nah. is what I mean. This is what I mean. It's easy to be mean. Like for example. Mike Tyson, if Tyson didn't have his power, would he be as mean? It's easy to be mean when you have power, but when you don't have that power and you still try to put it on people, I think that's kind of what I'm talking about. You mean even beyond, like like Josh, what we just saw from Josh Warrington, that was pretty mean from someone who doesn't have a lot of power. What Tim Bradley does it's kind of mean to me because Tim Bradley knows he doesn't have that power, yet he, he always, day in and day out, every fight, he puts it on, puts those punches together, and go, knowing he can't knock you out, but he's going to try anyway.
0: Man, Costa Zoo. I think if you look at old Julio uh, Cesar Savage, um Shamba Mitchell, uh, they said that they was fighting against a mean dude. Um, what's his name that he, he uh, had him on spaghetti legs? what's my man like that that dude was a mean son of a gun now based on what i see as far as young tim zoo i'm i'm i was impressed because tim zoo is a work in progress so for him to take the step up fight yeah absolutely got dropped in the first it happens and that's why I, i don't put a lot of stock into things like that happening because i don't want When when, when that's emphasized so much, oh, wow, is he gonna be this or that because he got dropped? No, he put himself in position to take a step up fight and he has to figure out what he's not good at. What he's not good at right now is not moving his head. He he has to, that's the next step for him is to develop that piece of the game where he's not getting tagged because he said he didn't see the punch. And somebody who is highly skilled and can run you into something, they gonna see that and that's what they are gonna try to exploit. So he has to work on that part of his game. But everything else, he looks exactly like his dad. Like he's one of the guys, like the father-son combination. He's probably the one that looks exactly like his father. He has really good exceptional all around skills. He's a boxer puncher. Um, He relies heavily on his accuracy and timing. But the one thing he does lack, or the two things he lacks, his head movement. Now his father used to get caught a little bit too, but his father was such a brutal puncher that people were kind of scared to throw the shots to knock him out because they knew if they miss or if they get caught in exchange, that it was going to be curtains. It was going to be a Reynolds. So with him, the other thing is the head movement, right? So the, the lack of, uh, the lacking of the devastating power his father. So he might want to. Slightly changes style a little bit because the way he comes in with that, that that style is suitable for somebody who has devastating power, but he doesn't have devastating power. That can only get him so far against guys who, the Gouche level, you know what I mean? He may be able to get get away with that against a Liam Smith level guy. I'm not sure, but that would be probably the next step that I would take. But whatever it is I'm working on in that camp, Head movement. I'm working on, um, you know, some type of punch variations and things like that, or just all around getting better at every aspect of my game. I would take that into a fight against somebody like a Liam Smith because I think Liam Smith is still in the top 10. But I don't think that 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 would be a tough fight because Liam Smith is a tough ombre, you know. But at the same time, if he's going to get where he plans on being at the age of 27, I think that. If, if he's going to be what he what they expect him to be, he should be able to beat somebody like Liam Smith. But I was overall impressed with the guy, you know what I mean? Um, especially when you compare him in terms of what he did, because the judges had the scorecards a lot closer than I had. I was somewhere like you, Danny, like 117, 110-ish type of, of uh, scorecard for me. I didn't, after a while, I stopped scoring it, but the rounds that I didn't score, I would have gave those to Zoo. um Anyway, because I just saw the fight going in that direction. But like I said, if you compare what he did against Gouche to Lubin and then Lara, I think that the young man, you know, did a really good job, you know, um, in, in, in terms of what he was able to bring to the table yesterday. So like I said, I was overall impressed, but just moving forward, he has some things that he needs to work on, but you have to put yourself in a situation where you fight people who's going to let you know what you're not good at and what you need to work on. So, like I say, all in all, I was impressed. Shout out to to old Tim Zook. All right, so for our next topic, it appears that Tank Davis is now voicing his displeasure with being under the Mayweather banner. Um, What do you guys think that Tank should do? Do you think he should stay with Floyd or do you think that he should, you know, move on it's a bigger and better thing.
1: Now, Javante Davis, he's making these comments saying that Mayweather Promotion is trying to cash him out by making him fight this, the clown, per se, which is Rol- Rolando Romero. My thing is, who, who cashes somebody out against Rolando Romero? And that's one thing I have an issue with what he's saying. If Mayweather Promotion is going to cash him out against somebody, they would have him do something crazy like... Move him up to welterweight or something, and fight one of those other PBC guys or something like that. Because as you as we said last week, this fight is not going past six rounds. Really, well, if you we are will, we all say one to three. So that's what we think of how long this fight is going to go. Now, what Tank should should do? I think if he wants to, if he wants those fights that that that's going to define him, I would say maybe you shouldn't resign with them. But at the same time, if you want to make money, you're in the business of boxing. You are a prize fighter. If you want to make money and continue to do what you've been doing and fight these guys that's below your talent level that you basically surely can beat and make millions of dollars doing it, stay with Mayweather promotions. I don't understand why he's talking about this. You know, now he's already on pay per view. You know, Floyd Mayweather has already taken him. You know, this far. I know there was some, some conflict earlier uh, about the power structure between um, Javante Davis and, uh, internal team and Floyd Mayweather's team where they wanted him early on in his career to, to leave uh, Baltimore and leave his team of Calvin Ford, the trainer that got him where he was to uh, move out to Las Vegas. Tank Davis rejected that notion, but eventually the two sides reconciled and they came back together and, and Javante Davis did do something that I respect him a lot for is that he did go with Floyd Mayweather, but he made sure that Calvin Ford and some of his, his, his uh, the team that brought him to that point was still part of it. And that's something I do respect Javante Davis for. He's one of those guys that I didn't used to like at first, but the more I look at him as a person, the decisions that he made, the more that I respect him um, because I think it's not really Javante Davis that's, Picking these fights. It's really, you know, the team of Floyd like Mayweather. But in this case, I think, I mean, you're a prize fighter. He's making a lot of money. Mayweather promotion has got him to be pretty much in their eyes a star. Or Leonard Ellerby has gotten him to the point where he's a star. I mean, what more can you ask for?
0: now Tanks' contract will be expiring after this Romero fight. The tweet that I saw was him saying that they put my tickets on sale one month before, like um, I'm effing Michael Jackson. Thought that was pretty hilarious, you know, um, to say. I'm assuming that he means that they waited a while to put his tickets out and that they should have been put out earlier. As far as the way this situation is playing out, Floyd has done a lot for Tank. You know, he, he helped them, as you mentioned, Uh, you know, uh, to come to Vegas, to get out of Baltimore. You know, Tank was getting in a little bit of trouble and kind of helping Tank mature. He also has been helping Tank in in the press conferences and kind of like taking on a lot of it and speaking a lot at the press conferences, kind of using it as a scaffold, where early on he was doing a lot more and then once Tank starts to get a little bit start to get a little bit more comfortable, then he starts to let Tank speak more and more. And Tank is better at speaking for himself. As a matter of fact, you can see a lot of his personality now in those um, press conferences now um, than you had before. So it's just a, all of this. I think that Floyd has helped Tank out a great deal. But at the same time, I think Floyd, him being his prized pupil, that. He's also kind of stymied um, Tank to a certain degree. And I think with with Tank, let's say, for instance, Tank stayed with Floyd. I think it would be better for Tank just to outwardly tell Floyd what it is that he wants. You know, no, I'm not fighting this guy. I want him because I think that him and Floyd, they are kind of a good team together because that's the one thing or one of the things that kind of separate him from the other guys is he has that Floyd Mayweather step, And those other guys don't have it. Like uh, Devin doesn't have it. Um, Tia doesn't have it. You know, a lot of those other guys, they don't have that that um, that branding like that. And, and it kind of helps. But I just think if Tate was a little bit more vocal, it's kind of like when I was growing up. I remember I used to want to stay out a little bit later, but I really never voiced that to my father. I just would be disgruntled. I'd be upset. But then one time I did stay out late, I came back and he was you know, upset the fact that I stayed out really late. But then once I, talked, I was like, man, what? I'm not doing anything out there. Like, I just want to have fun with my friends and blah, 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 this and that. We're not doing anything. So he, was, he told me, he said, you know what? He said, I nah, know because now you spoke up for yourself. And so that's the same thing with Tank. You know, you will know when somebody's ready if you got somebody who you kind of depended on, you know, to a certain degree. He wants to fly now. But um, I think also though, this could really just be something, um, a move where they are trying to fool the public to sell tickets. It could be that. Because when I listen to Floyd's response to Tank's displeasure, it's not like a Floyd Mayweather typical response because Floyd is so arrogant. He's such a narcissist that he don't like people publicly coming at him like that. Now, it could be the fact that he looks at Tank really like a son and he, he has that relationship and rapport with him, where no matter what Tank is say, he's just looking at him like, you know, I still love him, because that's what he said. He was like, um, you know, regardless of what Tank says, you know, I just want the best for him, you know, and I love him, and, and, and this and that, and he was saying how all good things come to an end, and so that could be the case, but I still think it's 50-50, where this is just a ploy to draw more interest into the fight because people want to see Tank in his last fight with Mayweather what is it going to be like at the press conference what is it going to be like at the fight is he going to have beef with Floyd is he going to so that's what they're trying to do in order to draw interest so I'm thinking half of me thinks that that's what it is because he wouldn't necessarily have to do this now in the public and it doesn't make sense what what, how is it that they setting them up because he said that before, but I thought he was serious in the past when he was disgruntled and had shown displeasure with Floyd when he said that he thought that Floyd tried to set him up against Pedraza when he won his championship. And he was saying that he, he I don't know, think he thought he was ready at the time, but they put him in there to go ahead and lose. But again, Floyd, they, they ironed the situation out. But in this situation, it doesn't make sense because Raleigh just doesn't have, this is like a cherry pick. But if you put that out in the public, a lot of people are not gonna really know what's going on with this fight with your everyday average fan who just supports Tank. He has a huge amount of followers on social media. They'll just listen to what he had to say and then they just gonna draw, they're gonna be drawn in Because they're like, oh man, they're setting him up. So let's go ahead and tune in. Let's go ahead and go to the fight, you know, so on and so forth. So I think it's it's more so that than it is him really being disgruntled. But the last thing I'm going to say is this, Bill. I don't think that it's him leaving, if he does leave, it's not him leaving um, Mayweather and possibly joining Matchroom or possibly joining. Uh, Bob Aaron. that wouldn't make sense. I just think that he would just leave Floyd and he'll just still work with the PBC and he'll just detach himself from him, you know, if that's the case. But really, I don't, it, it doesn't make sense to me from that standpoint, if he just wanna, you know, be more of a free agent and be more of his own man, then, you know, much respect to him because everybody gets to that point um, eventually. You know, Floyd had a situation with Bob Aaron, where he had to separate himself. And the fact that Tank isn't getting the best fights and people are being, showing their displeasure. Well, true boxing fans. It doesn't seem like just, you know, everyday average people care. They just want to see Tank knock somebody out. And for him, that's a good place to be because, you know, you don't have to fight, you know, uh, stiff opposition. And, you know, you don't have those risky type fights, but as a fight fan, that's what you really want to see. And he knows that in his heart that you have that contingency out there. So why not put that out in the public? But I want to fight the best fights. It's Floyd who's doing it. And then also we're causing this controversy that's going to draw more interest in the fight. So that's what I see more so than anything else, but I could be wrong.
2: Yeah, similar to you guys, um, the statement in and of itself, I couldn't quite figure out because... I don't understand why, if his contract is up, why they would offer up another undefeated fighter within the same camp, you know what I mean? So the statement in and of itself doesn't make sense, but, um, and he was just responding to a tweet and clearly, I mean, he knows what the implications behind his response was, but that's another thing that I won't get into. But I'll just take this statement for what it is at face value and then i'll answer the question that you originally posed directly to the best of my ability it's really hard to say what tank would do from here because i don't have a clear indication of what his actual motivations are you know like he's always seemed open to fighting better opposition in the past but you know we don't know what he wants to do like up to this point he's gone between three different weight classes and he's fought for secondary championships, and so it's kind of, in in some ways, is that classic, you know, um, do I want to set myself and my family up for life, or do I want to go after legacy, is one of those things, where it's like, it's one of those type of things, and so, in terms of what he does, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to say like go independent like a canelo or anything because if you do that then you know you run the risk of like yeah you're open to to certain deals but you also run the risk of you know like you said well mayweather is arrogant so it's like what if somehow you're kind of blackballed from fighting certain fighters so it's like one of the things i would want to see if he's assuming he's thinking in the back of his head, what he wants to do with his contract. I think he needs to decide for himself what he actually wants. Does he want to go for the great fights or does he want to be set up? And, and then, you know, say, okay, what route can I take that would put me in the best position to get there? But also, you know, consider the risk that may go with some of the routes because again, you know, he could get blackballed or, or anything like that, but you know, I don't see him as well. I don't see him signing with like a top rank or anything. Like at most I could see him just staying within PVC, but I would just like to get a sense of what his end game is after this fight, preferably. Cause he's not getting any younger and, you know, he's still in the prime of his career, but at some point you gotta let, you gotta let yourself, if nobody, if your management, they're not gonna let you at the cage at some point, if that's what you want to do, you got to figure out a way to let yourself out that cage and and fight the opposition that you want to fight and that the fans want to see you fight. So I think he just mapped it out for himself, and I think it's going to play out how it's going to play out. Did you guys have anything else on that?
0: A little bit. I I, I think, because, see, the reason why I think that this is just a ploy, and I think whoever came up with this idea that they just all – you know um decided that it was okay to go ahead and and, and do it i don't know if tank said well i'm gonna go ahead and make this uh i to put this tweet out you know like we beefing or whatever i don't know because see i don't i never gathered that tank really wanted to fight the best opposition now i see him being willing to face certain guys for instance The only time I saw him, and and, and it depends on if you consider him a top guy, and that's Ryan Garcia. Now, I saw and that was when they were having those conversations. I saw the look in Tank, uh, like, oh, yeah, you want to fight? Okay. But then when other guys say similar things, the conversation always goes into something that they're competing about that has nothing to do with fighting. For instance, Devin Haney conversations that they were having. It didn't seem like Tank had any um like interest at all in fighting Devin. And I don't think it's because because Tank, a fight like that is on sale. I don't care what anybody say. But at the same time, it's like, oh, I got more of this than you. You don't make this much or this. And it got to, to that type of stuff, as opposed to, you know, let's get in the ring and knuckle down. And even other Lomachenko. I never gathered that Tank wanted to face Lomachenko. So I just think it's, it's 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 from that standpoint, it could be a ploy that they have to keep milking this thing out, and you know, going up to fight a Mario Barrios type dude, to go down and fight a small, because um, that's the probably the best win on this his resume is the Santa Cruz, you know. But he was, and everybody knew what was going to happen, you know, in that fight. So. You know, I, I think that's the only thing that I'm saying is that I don't know his interest in, like, really matching himself against the top-level guys. I don't see it. You know, I haven't seen it. it like I said, unless you consider Ryan Garcia somebody who's a top-level guy, but he has so many vulnerabilities that in his vulnerabilities will play right in the tank hands. So, but that's all I got.
1: Yeah. Will, um, you, you brought up an interesting point on, on this being a ploy. I don't think I could see Tank thinking that up Mayweather maybe but this sounds more like a, a Leonard LRB production that's what that sounds like but I don't really think that's the case I, I, I do think like any family you know they have their disagreements and I think really that's all it is is a disagreement between Tank and Mayweather promotions
0: see the only reason why I don't think I don't think LRB makes any decisions and the only reason I say that is because of what, what's my guy name? He's a trainer now. He helps Devin out. and He helps a couple other guys out, but he also fought under the Mayweather banner and he oh, was doing something. Yeah, Bay. So Bay, he painted a picture of LRB as being somebody who just there, you know what I mean? And, and he doesn't have the type of power that, you would think that he has, and he doesn't have the insight that you would think that he has. He's just like a figurehead type guy. That's the picture picture that he painted. And if that's true, I can't see him saying anything that Floyd would go with or anything that Tank will really respect to even consider, right? So I just think maybe he's saying something because I'm sure Tank has to be, he know, like if you are on social media at all, and those young guys are, he has to know that there are people who saying like this is a cherry pick and that he keeps hearing that. So when he fighting um, Pitbull Cruz, when he's going up to fight Mario Barrios as opposed to Josh Taylor, uh, Regis Progress, um Ramirez, when he's going down to face um, Santa Cruz, he's not messing with Gary Russell and all of those, All all the dudes at 135, he's not fighting. I'm sure he's hearing that over and over he, he loves the money, you know, he loves the attention, the allure of all of that type of stuff. But at the same time, it got to be eating at him, you know, a little bit. But this is a good little shtick that they have in, in terms of, you know, their marketing, because he is a talented guy. He has power. He has that one aspect that people dig, you know, and he also has that charisma, you know, it's a certain charm about Tank that he's a little bit different than the other guys. He has that, that if you call it swagger or whatever it is, it's just a little bit different with him than those other guys. Not that he's not beatable or anything like that, but he is a draw. But I think that in his mind, so, you know, they just, to me, I think it could be easy for them to be using this in order just to draw interest and sell tickets because beef always sell, especially in the black community. So, you know, that's how I look at it.
2: So this one here is literally hot off the presses As in, the news was announced like a few minutes before we started recording. But the fight between George Camboso Jr. and Devin Haney for the unification has been um, officially made. It's scheduled for June 5th at the Marvel Stadium in Melbourne, Australia. Um, this is going to crown boxing's first fully unified lightweight champ in the four belt era. And so um, the way it's been reported is that it's a multi-fight deal. And if Haney were to win, he would rematch him. There's a rematch clause. So he would rematch him in Australia. And then if, if he were to win that and remain that lightweight, it's possible that he could then face Vasily Lomachenko in what would be an ESPN pay-per-view event. Um, obviously, because this is hot off the presses, we haven't had a whole lot of time to process this. And, you know, this isn't necessarily how we saw it going. But what are you guys, like, raw thoughts on on this fight being made?
0: I think this is, a, you know, divine intervention or whatever you want to call it in a sense that Cambosis didn't – he never wanted to face Devin Haney. You know, he talked it. You know, he was he, – he, he talked the talk. He sounded like he was a solid dude. Um, and I don't know why he – appear to more um, likely be trying to fight Loma because that's the direction. All of the smoke and mirror stuff that he was saying over here, like I'll fight you, this and that, you know, he always was, was trying to figure out a way to be able to secure the Loma fight. Maybe it's the fact that Loma's a little bit shorter. Um, you feel like he can outbox him more? It could be the name you know, since the fight is supposed to be in Australia. I don't know. I just know that he really wanted to face Loma, but Loma has his own situation go, going on since Russia invaded the Ukraine. And it's interesting because Loma's taking the approach that he's going to stay back and you have Usyk who decided that he is going to start training for the Joshua fight. So it's interesting that both guys took different approaches, but anyway, uh, when it comes to this, since the fight is going to take place June 4th, June 5th, um, I like Haney. You know, I always liked Haney over George Kambosis. I think that in this fight, George is gonna be tough. He's a tough fighter. He has a, a tremendous engine. He's he's pretty technically sound. He's just not doesn't have, you know, the special effects or anything like that. But he's just so tough, so hard-nosed, so um, so much will, you know, that he he's often able to overcome just based on his his, his passion that he has for the sport of boxing. He's just one of those guys that's just gonna be tough unless you like either knock him out um or just kind of outskill him, you know, he he's always gonna be there and he's always going to be fighting. He's always going to be trying to win. So you, you, you got a light at the bottom. I just think that when you match both guys up, that Haney just has a little bit more in most categories than George Camboses. I like his speed. I like his, his technical abilities, um, jab, you know, combination punching, his flash, more flashier punches that, that are going to be landing. Now, it could be now, I'm telling you, Haney is going to win as far as realistically he's winning. So, if I watch the fight and I'm scoring it and I'm being objective, then he, he, Haney's going to win. But it's in Australia. So, I don't know. I've seen um, Jeff Horn, you know, like he has some fights over there that I don't know necessarily if he won or not. You know, so Haney's gonna have to deal with that um, aspect of it. But I like him. I think Haney would would be winning maybe eight to four. I think cambos is also he in his in his signature victory against Lopez. I think that there were several things that went in his favor in that fight that he won't have going against Haney. For one, he had a true disdain for. Lopez. I'm not sure if Lopez felt that same way about him. Like, he really didn't like Lopez. The other thing was those cancellations of the fight. Lopez was arrogant, cocky, kind of overlooking Kambosis. He just thought that he was way better. And, like, he was just overconfident. Where Haney, he doesn't have a victory or anything like a win over Lomachenko that he can be arrogant and cocky. He still wants those belts. He still wants all of those belts for him. So he has something that that truly still be, you know, fighting for, and he's not going to be overconfident. And then also, unless, you know, some unforeseen thing happened, you know, you won't have those cancellations and things like that, that I thought that kind of had Teofimo Lopez, like kind of thinking about other stuff. He was talking about everybody else outside of, Cambosis. Should I go up and fight um Josh Taylor? Should I go ahead and do this and do that? And so he never really was focused in on Cambosis. That's not going to be the case. When he likes horns with Devin Haney, he's going to be fighting somebody that's going to gain plan spit specifically for him. And he's the one who's being, you know, targeted, as opposed to him, you know, having his eyes set on somebody else. And the fact that he didn't want to fight uh, Devin Haney, to me, it's going to play a factor. But all in all, in that matchup i like haney like eight to four but i don't know how those judges gonna score that fight over there in australia hopefully they'll have some reputable judges you know who will call a fight down the middle you know and call it like it is now as far as moving forward after that i like haney against um against loma you know i think he's taller bigger um and i haven't seen now both guys are gonna be facing people that they haven't seen before you know as far as a style but I just I don't know how Loma is going to be his size you know and height with those short arms I think his style is more conducive to somebody who's kind of coming at him a little bit as opposed to somebody who's a boxer a pure boxer who's going to keep him at bay with a jab and so I think in that fight I'm not going to go too deep into it because I really haven't thought it out that far, but just based on what I know right now, and what both guys you know bring to the table, I would lean also towards Devin Haney against Basile High Tech Lomachenko. So, but all in all, it's good news. You know, I'm looking forward to seeing this blockbuster matchup in probably Sydney, Australia, in, in, in early June.
2: I'm gonna attempt to play devil's advocate and kind of give my interpretation of how we got here. Before I go into the actual fights, um, but the way I saw it was that you know Haney is no longer in the Matchroom deal, but he was trying to work with Matchroom in order to get the deal. As we know, Matchroom is tied to the Zone, and the Zone, for whatever reason, the Zone didn't want the fight, and there was more money and more interest from top down in the Loma fight. You know, like Loma's a bigger a bigger draw up to this point. Um, He was backed by top ring and by ESPN. And so he had the network behind him, uh, which was fine with Camboso's promoter. And so it seemed like a go until, you know, we all know what happened with Ukraine and and Loma's decision to to stay back. And, you know, once he kind of dropped out, Camboso's camp came to Haney and basically said, all right, you said you'll take the same deal as Loma. Here's your chance. You either take the same deal as Loma, um, or there's no fight. And so Haney said, I'll take the same deal. And so that's how we got here. So um, you know, I wasn't mad at how Cambosos played it necessarily, but you know, it is what it is. And I do think it was some divine intuition on Haney's part. Um, I am happy that he got the fight because I feel like he deserved it more than Loma. That said, you know, I, I do think it would be an eight-four, objectively, an eight-four you know, kind of Haney uh, decision. Cambosos is that type of example of like that that quote, you know, uh, hard works beat talent when talent doesn't work hard, that type of deal. So um, Cambosos, the only trouble I see Haney possibly getting in is he's not going to be able to afford, and I don't think he would have this problem, but he's not going to be able to afford to let off the gas at all because we're talking – possibly two fights in Australia to have to, you know, so you have to co- convincingly beat that champ there. I don't think he has the power to stop Cambosos. I do think Cambosos has the power to rattle him and maybe put him down, which could skew the judges in his favor. But um, I think that Haney should win the fight. And I think Haney should win the rematch. We'll see what actually happens. I'm a little bit concerned, though, if he fights. So say this fight happens in June. They fight again, you know, late next, late this year, early next year. And then you find him fighting Loma, you know, um, around this time next year or maybe June of next year. This is a guy, Haney, who was talking about moving up to 140. He's a big 135 now. He was talking about moving up to 140 if he didn't get this fight. And so he would be fighting his third fight at 135, where he's arguably overdue to move up in weight class. And he's fighting somebody who, you know, as we talked about, you know, after his last fight, Lomas has sort of filled out at 135. You know, he was a small, lightweight at first. And now he's still small, but he's a, he's a sturdy lightweight now. And so, you know, although Haney is not going to have any issues like coming in in shape, he might have an issue coming in weight drain. And that's not the type of issue you want to have against somebody like Loma, who just gonna keep coming. He's gonna work those angles. And so I might give that one like a 5248 in the favor of Loma. Um, if that if that fight comes into fruition. But I'm happy for it. I'm happy for the outlook of the lightweight division. It's about time these guys started fighting each other. So this is a win for boxing, either way.
1: Yeah, it's a win for boxing. And I think at the very least, Devin Haney, he gets the fights that he wants. It's just certain things about this deal that concerns me, uh, preferably the things that that concern me is that for Devin Haney is that part of the deal is he has to stay at lightweight the entire time to get these fights, right? Then there's a rematch clause if he beats Cambosa, But there is not a rematch clause if Cambosa beats Devin Haney. It was almost like this deal was structured for Kambosa. For specifically for Cambosa and Devin Haney was kind of even though he wanted this, there's certain things he had to agree to in order to, for this to happen. Um, so you have a fight where there's rematch clause, right? Number one. Then it's fights in Australia, uh, number two. So he has to beat Cambosa uh, twice convincingly in order. To, I mean convincingly, I mean on the cards, on the official cards, wherever whoever is judging the fight in order to get the Lomachenko fight. now I think, uh, and it's not to say that, that Devin Haney isn't up for the task. I do think that the first fight, Devin Haney will probably win the fight. Uh, but at the same time, I think, I just smell something fishy, like this is going to be some type of robbery. And that's why I'm more apprehensive to really uh, say who I think is going to win. I think Devin Haney, visually wise, will win this fight. But I think that the, the judges in this fight, is something, it's something fishy that's going on right here. And I, I haven't really put my finger on it. I, you know, I might talk about this in, in future episodes. But something about this deal doesn't sit right, right with me.
0: They're making a man go through all of these loops. Like, again, that's why I know they don't want to fight him, is that now that you give him the fight, you got to beat him twice. You got to sign with this. You got Like, who makes a guy do all of that stuff in order to get a fight? Like, dang, bro. Can you beat the dude or not? You know what I'm saying? Don't enslave the man just because you scared to fight him. And then now you fight him. And now I got to go ahead and sign with your company. Like, Come on, dog. Like They just be doing way too much. Both of these dudes should have been fought him. Uh, Loma should have fought the dude before. Then Teofimo Lopez was like twiddling his fingers. Then you got this dude didn't want to fight him. gonna so give Loma another fight. And then he got to go through all of these hoops. You, come on, man. Like, this is crazy. But anyway, hopefully Devin go ahead and rock his snot box. You know what I mean? He do the same thing, to old Lomachenko, whatever y'all want to call him, the Matrix. or I don't know. He ain't Neo. You know what I'm saying? But at the same time, I think Devin the Dream Haney, he going he to put his paws on both of them. Three times. Anything else I got on that, man? I Even as I think about this, I'm thinking this through. Dude got to do all of this stuff. Like, it's riling me up. I'm getting upset about this nonsense. But anyway, do y'all have anything else?
1: Yeah, that's why I say it sounds something is, is, even though it's a, it's a good deal just to get fights, and I'm happy he got the deal because you get paid and all that. But something is fishy about it.
0: Can I ask you Who else have you seen had to do all of this in order just to get a fight? I mean, the rematch clause is standard, though, right? Pretty standard when, when you're a champ. He got to sign with the other company, basically, like halfway.
1: I don't think he has to sign. With, with, it's uh, gonna be
0: underneath the belt, whatever it is. They
1: gonna they promote and they co-promote ESPN and all of that. Well, is he it? doesn't. Well, who is he? Doesn't have a promoter because the zone is not really his promoter. Like yeah, that's what Canelo doing. Yeah, but Canelo, no, is, Canelo. Canelo is,
0: is is choosing to do that. He has he basically has to do
1: this in order to get those fights. It's but not, Devin Haney doesn't have a promoter, so it's not like. You know, he he has to leave his promoter or anything like that. I'm it,
0: not saying they do, but you still you forcing him to basically sign with the other dudes, like they're gonna be promoting the thing.
1: That's different.
0: He's still it's not he, if I don't have a promoter, but you're telling me I have to go in this direction, I don't have any really free willingness. Like the only way I'm gonna get this fight is if I really basically sign with the other dude to a certain degree. And right. I gotta give this dude a rematch, and I gotta do it in Australia. I gotta do like, come on, dog, like it ain't even. That's that's like rare that you hear things like this happen, man. Hey, for hey, real who he deserves is. the fight.
1: Maybe that's why maybe he needed a promoter. Maybe if he was with Mayweather promotions, nah, he man, would
0: Mayweather have <laughs>
1: negotiated a better deal.
0: <laughs> no, what they what they need is they don't need to have promoters. Like that's what it should be. Because all yeah, of that stuff yeah, is. I'm with you, you on, on that. You're right. That's running the sport. Oh, I can't because he's with this company. I am with, with this company. Like, man, I want to fight, dude. Forget I don't care who he with. I don't care who I'm with. Let's set up that fight. Let me go ahead and get him. I want to whoop him. I don't care about all this other stuff. Hey,
2: the game Miss is a game, that. man. The game is a game.
0: No, uh, We're we chopping up that good game right now. Anything else y'all got before we wrap things up? No, sir. I mean, I'm going to pop this bottle of champagne, have me some muscles calm down. Because this is some nonsense, bro. But on that note, y'all have a good week. (laughs) Catch you next time. Peace. Peace. Peace.